The New Testament lesson this morning comes from the 10th chapter of the book of Matthew, beginning with the 10th, uh, first verse. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The epistle lesson for today comes from the book of Acts, the first chapter, beginning with the 12th verse. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to him to the upper room where they were staying, staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. And all these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And next, from Acts chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, you are here this morning. May we come as your people to glorify and to worship you, for you are good and loving. Lord, may we be a people that are known for our love and our generosity, for you are a God of love and generosity. 
And Jesus showed us his love for us. Lord, make us into the image of Christ by the power of your spirit. Amen. You may be seated. After completing our three-year study in the book of, of Luke, in the gospel according to Luke, we spent three Sundays in the book of Genesis. We began a, a systematic series, systematic series that will take us to all the books in the Bible. We spent three Sundays in the book of Genesis, then we spent two in Matthew. This morning we come to the book of Acts. What is the most important event in the book of Acts? One would look at Acts and see the conversion of Saul, a persecutor of Christ and the followers of Christ who brought the gospel in great power to the Mediterranean world. As huge as that is in the book of Acts, there, the one event There's an event in Acts that unless you understand it, you cannot understand the book of Acts. The most important event in the book of Acts we read this morning. The Holy Spirit coming to the church of Jesus Christ on the Jewish feast day of Pentecost. The gospel, the gospels could be titled The Acts of Jesus. In your Bibles, in the first of the book of Acts, is usually at the title, or usually above the first chapter, there's a title, and the title was not given uh, until later. It was not a part of the original. Probably 150 years later. The title, Acts of the Apostles. So you have the Acts of Jesus, the Acts of the Apostles. But it could be titled, The Acts of the Holy Spirit. I had originally planned this morning to preach from just... A, an exegetical message from Acts 2 on specifically the events of Pentecost and what they meant. 
But because we had been in Matthew and looked at the call of Matthew, seeing, seeing Rabbi Jesus call Matthew, that just stayed in the back of my mind during the first part of the week. I'd already prepared to preach from Acts 2 specifically about the events of that day. But I couldn't get away from linking the disciples, from the disciples who were in that upper room. Matthew was one of them. And so this morning, uh, the, we're going to look at where we began in Matthew, with Matthew and the disciples, and come up to Acts chapter 2. None of these disciples fit that criteria. Peter, we can see easily in the gospel, was impulsive. He was proud. He was a prejudiced man. Matthew had been a tax collector, a white-collar thief. James and John, they always wanted to be first. They would connive and go to Jesus without the other disciples knowing and seek favor. Thomas was a pessimist and discourager. <laughs> These are the men that Jesus called. These are the men that he would entrust with his ministry. Tim Hansel, a Christian writer, uh, wrote a book called Eating Problems for Breakfast. And I don't know where he got it. But in a mock letter about these disciples, he spoke in this letter of a lack of qualification. And here, here's the letter. It comes from the Jordan Management Consultants. And it's to Jesus, a son of Joseph, Woodcrafters Carpenter Shop. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for managerial positions in, in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. And we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arrange personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each one of them carefully. As a part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have a team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities for leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness. 
meets people well, has a keen business mind, has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Now, we laugh at that. And, of course, it's fictional. But, folks, the gospel does not hide the sins and weaknesses of these 12 men whom Jesus called. After three years, what happened with these men when Jesus was arrested? Look at Matthew 26, 56. Then all the disciples left him and fled. They had all just sworn hours before, sworn allegiance. They knew it was a hard time and they had sworn, we'll never leave you. And that night in the garden, all you saw were heels and elbows as they ran. The NIV translates that verse, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. These are the men he chose. And what is one of the last things he told them before he went home? Look at Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Did you see that? Therefore, Peter, James, John, Go and make disciples of all nations. Go to Spain. Go to Rome. Go to Africa. Go to Persia. Go to India. Now here there are 11 there at the end of the book of Matthew. Judas has turned traitor. So there's 11 left. And you're seeing these men that he called stand there. It's a motley crew. You want to look at Jesus and say, are you serious? You, you think these men can actually do that? And that? What would you bet if you'd been standing there? If Tyler and, I, Tyler and I had been standing there, knowing what he was calling them to do, would, would Would I think that they could do it? Would I bet, make a bet with Tyler? Yeah, they, they're going to do this. In his, in his book, Quiet Talks on Service, S.D. Gordon gives an imaginary account of, of Jesus having a conversation with Gabriel when he gets home after the ascension. It goes like this. Gabriel says to Jesus, Master, you died for the world, did you not? And Jesus says, yes. You suffered much. And Jesus said, yes. And Gabriel says, does all the world know that you died for them? No. Jesus said, only a few in Palestine know about it 
so far. Gabriel. Well, then what is your plan for telling the rest of the world that you shed your blood for them? Jesus responds. Well, I told Peter and James and Andrew and a few others to make it their business in their lives to tell others. And then the ones they tell could tell others and they in turn could tell others. And finally, it would reach to the farthest corners of the earth. But suppose, Gabriel says, suppose Peter fails. And suppose after a while, John just doesn't tell anyone. And what if James and Andrew are ashamed or afraid? Then what? And Jesus answered, I have no other plans. If you'd been standing there, and you didn't know the rest of the story, these men are going to go to Rome. They're going to go to Spain. They're going to go to England. They're going to go to Alexandria. They're going to go to Athens. They're going to go to India. Really? Six weeks before Jesus told them to go and take the gospel to all these places, to the ends of the earth, these men had run for their lives just six weeks before the night he was arrested. And now they're supposed to take the message of the cross and resurrection to the world. Starting in the very city where he was crucified. Now let's move to another scene. Look at the last time that we see the disciples listed by name in scripture. Jesus has ascended. The disciples are back in Jerusalem, in the upper room. Look at Acts 1.13. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew. That would have been Nathaniel. Some of these disciples had two names. And Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. These are the same men listed in Matthew 10 after Jesus had gathered them. They had had three years with Jesus. They had seen the incredible, what no man had ever seen. By fiat, he had made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the paralyzed to walk. He had healed the lepers, stopped storms, raised the dead. They had this gigantic resurrection. They had watched him die on a Roman cross. And then come back from the grave. They had seen the risen Jesus over and over again. They had the ascension. The angels telling them as he ascended. He will return. He's coming back. But Jesus ordered them. Ordered commanded them. Imagine this. He's just told them, take the gospel to the world. But then in Acts, just before he leaves, he says, you're not ready. 
You're not ready. Look at Acts 1, 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them. This is, it's, it's like, how do you understand this? He says to go to the ends of the world. It looks like he would be anxious. It's like the disciples would be on edge saying, we're going, let's go. And Jesus ordered them not to depart for Jerusalem. Don't you start this, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you will receive power. You go down to verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see the mission there. You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But it's tied directly to the Holy Spirit. They waited. That's what we read in the first chapter. They waited. They went back to the upper room. They waited. So what happened? Look at Acts 2, 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed, astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Egypt, residents of Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying, to one another. What does this mean? What happened? Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit happened. Suddenly the men who had fled were ready to take on the world, take on the very city in which Jesus had been crucified. What happened? The Holy Spirit came to the church. Folks, just as the Messiah had been promised all through the Old Testament, we've all heard series of sermons on Jesus in the Old Testament. As the Old Testament prophets spoke of the coming of the Son of God, spoke of the Incarnation, spoke of the Messiah, well, just so, Scripture, the Old Testament, spoke not only of the coming of the second person of the Trinity in the Incarnation, but those same scriptures spoke of the coming of the third person of the Trinity, spoke of the Holy Spirit coming. We read in our call to worship one such scripture this morning where a prophet prophesied 
where God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. What the incarnation is to the gospels. The coming of the Holy Spirit is to the book of Acts. How does the incarnation have taken place? Peter knew Jesus. But he still denied him three times. How does Peter go from denying Jesus to preaching a message in the very city that crucified him? How does a fisherman preach a sermon where 3,000 people are converted? Think about it. This is why Jesus did not choose a Greek orator to be his lead disciple. It looked like he would have gone to Athens and chose one of the great, great public speakers of Athens to preach this sermon, to be converted and preach this sermon. Why did he choose a commercial fisherman who had no training? This was like the story of Gideon all over again. You know the story. The book of Judges. The Midianites for seven years had just been laying Israel waste. Just been destroying this. They would come in and raid during the harvest. They would come in and take all the crops. People were miserable. God came to Gideon. He said, Gideon, I want you to raise an army to fight the Midianites. And Gideon went out and raised an army of 32,000 men. Now, he was still outnumbered. The, the, the Midianite army numbered 135,000. That's what we're told. In scripture. So it was 135,000 to 32,000. And what did God say? Hey, Gideon, you need more men than that. Go get some more men. No. What did he say? Gideon. You have too many soldiers. You go and fight the Midianites. And they're going to talk about what a great general you are. And they're going to talk about what a great army this is. He said, you tell the army, all of you who are afraid, go home. Well, he had 32,000 men and 22,000 went home. That left 10,000. He came back and said, all right, God, I have 10,000. God said, Gideon, that's too many. And God told him what to do. And it was narrowed down to 300 men. And then God said, that's just about right. 300 men against 135,000. What was God saying? Gideon, you're not going to get the glory for this, and neither is the army. It will be God that wins the victory. We have seen the weaknesses of Peter and John and James and Thomas, of all the disciples. The record of the Gospels is a continual not understanding, a continual selfishness, prejudice, not understanding what the mission of Jesus was. 
and they ran. We tend to look at these men, Peter and John and Matthew, after Pentecost and say, wow, what great men. What great accomplishments. And we think we could never do anything like that. Well, the message of the gospel in choosing these men, the message of the gospel is, hey, they're exactly like us. Did you have any trouble identifying? I never have any trouble identifying with the disciples before Pentecost. That's me. I'm Peter. I'm James and John. Let me be first in your kingdom. In fear, keeping my mouth shut. Why did God choose these men? The message is... That the work of Jesus Christ is about his power and his strength. The work of his church is to his glory. I think that's why God gave his example. You ever think about the disciples that you don't know what happened? We know about Peter. We know about John went to Ephesus. Matthew wrote a gospel. But what do you know about James, the son of Alphaeus? What do you know about Simon the Zealot or Judas, the son of James? Yet Jesus called them. They were all part of Pentecost. He does not call all of us to be well-known disciples because of our public service. These men, we don't know. We know what tradition tells us, but we don't know. Scripture does not tell us. But I'm certain because they were empowered at Pentecost, I'm certain that they were there in the kingdom every day serving in some capacity. Sometimes we as Christians excuse ourselves from service because we lack the talent. We don't think we have the strength. We don't think we have what it takes. And sometimes that's true. It's true in some areas. We just stop and think about talent. Some folks, when we sing, some of us cannot hit a note. We can't. I was once asked to sing a solo. When I was seven years old in the church, I'll never forget it. Draper Valley Presbyterian Church. And I stood up in front of the church and I sang a solo. I was never asked again. Never been asked. I've had great choirs at Independent. I would go to James Brown every once in a while and said, you just never asked me to sing a solo on Sunday morning. There's a reason. But now listen to me. That doesn't mean I'm not to sing. In scripture we read, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. 
If you don't sing, if you're a Christian and you don't sing and you say, well, I just can't sing, shame on you. Do you understand you're commanded by God to sing? Now, all the good singers are going to cover up what you and I contribute. But we're to sing. And I love singing. Praise to God. Well, it's the same thing in communicating the gospel. We, we, maybe we, we can't preach like Billy Graham or Charles Haddon Spurgeon. But it doesn't mean we can't tell the story of Jesus. It doesn't mean we can't pray for those around us that are lost. It doesn't mean that, that we don't communicate the gospel to our children. No. We're to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. This sermon is supposed to be encouraging to you. Look at those disciples. Jesus standing, take the gospel to the end of the earth and you're saying, yeah, sure. These guys are going to do that. They've never been out of Israel. You see how encouraging. Tony Campolo tells a story about a week that he spent at a junior high conference as a counselor. Tony Campolo is a Christian writer and, and Bible teacher. And he was at this conference, like we send our junior highs to the conference, the RYM conference of Panama City. That's like where he was. Now, junior highs may be the best example of depravity on our planet. They can, junior highs can be the meanest people on earth. There was a boy in Compolo's cabin with cerebral palsy. He, he couldn't walk straight. He took forever just to go 10 yards. And it took forever to say a sentence. He stuttered. He stammered. He couldn't understand him. It would take him five minutes to ask which way to craft shop. And the boys would tease him. They would answer him, stuttering and stammering. Every morning, a boy from a different cabin was called upon to give a devotional for that morning. And the boys in his cabin elected Bill's guy's name, the little boy's name was Billy, and they elected Billy to give the devotion. Simply because they could tease him. They thought it would be funny. But Billy was undaunted. When he was called on, he took seven or eight minutes to get up in front. And he only spoke seven words. And it took several minutes for him to speak seven words. Jesus loves me, me, me. And I love him. It took him several minutes to say it. No one laughed. 
In, in fact, Kamola said that the dining hall was completely silent except for the cry and the tears. That had happened years before. And Campolo said, I can't tell you the number of men and women that are in the ministry now and on the mission field who were changed that morning. You see, the message of the disciples and the message of Pentecost is that we're all Billy's. Peter was a Billy. So were the rest of them. And so are we. Our hymn. His gracious spirit dwell with me.